Welcome to the CRE Exchange Podcast, where we deep dive into the global trends and challenges of CRE professionals across all sectors of the commercial real estate industry. We engage with experts in the space to bring you innovative insights into industry practices, opportunities, and challenges to better inform your decisions. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. All right, welcome everyone to another exciting episode of the CRE Exchange. I'm Cole Perry, your host and senior market analyst at Altus Group, a leading provider of asset and fund level intelligence. I'm joined by Omar Elterai, our U.S. Director of Research. Together, we'll share the latest news and trends in the U.S. CRE market that caught our attention. Omar, it's good to be with you. Great to be here. What uh, caught your attention in the last week? Yeah, so we're coming in on a shortened trading week uh, after the hopefully enjoyable Labor Day weekend for everybody. But I think there was a lot to digest last week. What really caught my attention was that the market does seem to be settling in on a, a softer landing or soft landing narrative. You saw this play out in fixed income space as the yield on the 10-year treasury securities fell from 4.25 down to 4.18%, but touched really as low as 4.09% after the release of some welcome U.S. employment data that shows signs of softening. A few banks have made news in the last couple of days as they dropped their expectations for recession risk. Goldman Sachs dropped its probability of recession by five percentage points to 15%. And they cited the resilient labor market as well as overall improving macro conditions. While this did catch a lot of attention, and I'm sure they won't be the only ones to be dropping their expectations for recession going forward. It is still out of consensus as a lot of the surveys that do come in around expectations for a recession put the probabilities much higher. I think what's driving a lot of this revised recession risk narrative is the labor market. We had a number of Key releases occur over the last week that showed hourly earnings rising 4.28% year on year in August. However, what's notable about that is that this is the second consecutive month where that rate has cooled down a bit. So in July, average hourly earnings were up 4.36%. In June, it was 4.41% year on year. Another area of the labor market that is showing positive signs that I'm sure are welcome by the Fed has been the labor force participation rate, which has ticked up to 62.8% in August. This is really the first time that the participation rate has touched pre-pandemic levels. And finally, even though unemployment is not a good thing when it goes up, the Fed has signaled that they need to see some loosening within the labor market. I think this was well-received. Unemployment rate jumped up by 30 basis points to 3.8%. And no pun intended, but this was driven in a large part by a trucking bankruptcy, which accounted for 37,000 lost jobs. And also contributing to it is the Hollywood writer strike, which cost another 17,000 jobs. And it's cool. What have you been seeing? I know I touched a little bit on unemployment, but I know that you're also looking at the labor market. 
Yeah, last week I was taking a look at construction employment. It's up 2.7% a year on year. The notable thing about that is that we're returning to pre-pandemic rates of employment growth. We've been well above the pandemic level of employment in in the construction industry, but now we're returning to pre-pandemic levels of employment growth. The other thing we got last week was July construction spending numbers, tying the two together. Year-on-year growth in total construction spending is up 5.2%, but split that out between public and private. You see the difference a little bit. Public spending on construction is up 10.2% year-on-year, and private spending is up 3.9% year-on-year. I mean, year on three year, we're up about 25% total. So this is, again, returning to some pre-pandemic levels of growth in construction spending. The one thing that really jumped out to me there was, if you break this down even further, private spending on single family home construction is up 2.9% month on month. And so this is really driven in part by the existing home market being frozen. All of the demand for single-family homes is being channeled into the uh, new construction, and we're really seeing that in construction spending. You dove into in detail on our last podcast. That's right. I think this is when we were looking at permits and starts, and we're still seeing this even in construction and raw spending dollars. So I'm not too surprised to hear this considering where mortgage rates are. And I think we'll see some similar numbers for growth. We could see some similar numbers for growth next month too. The other thing I was watching this week, the TSA released estimates for Labor Day weekend. We recorded this on Tuesday, September 5th. Then by Wednesday, September 6th, the TSA estimates that there will have been 14 million Labor Day weekend travelers. And they have screened 227 million passengers since Memorial Day. To put that into perspective, that's more passengers than over the same period in 2019. Bigger, the largest summer for travel ever. I can see that with coming out of earnings season as well. We've had increased optimism across many analysts and across numerous sectors. So FactSet had just published a piece that noted that analysts have increased their earnings per share or EPS estimates for S&P 500 companies for the third quarter by around 40 basis points over the last month. And consumer discretionary was top of the list in terms of there you go biggest revisions yeah. up. So I think that those TSA estimates certainly feed into that. But one thing that I noted with the same fact set piece was that for real estate, analysts have on average adjusted their 3Q estimates for EPS down by about 20 basis points. So even though I think there is a lot of optimism across the market. It's not distributed evenly across the different sectors. And I know that you just came out with a piece that's available on the Altis Insights website that discusses some of the challenges that you're anticipating or that you've identified. Would you want to talk a little bit about that piece? Sure. I think when we're talking about optimism, I think people are least optimistic about the office sector. And so my piece that was released last week talks a bit about office rollover risk. So the idea that even though there are some existing tenants in a lot of these office buildings, some markets are more heavily exposed to rollover risk of those leases than others. So we know that Return to office is varied by market and by tenant type. Your technology tenants are still lagging quite a bit. So this presumably would hurt 
markets like San Francisco, where we estimated with all this data that 28% of office properties have a technology-related tenant. But the risk for these is in the least rollover in these dynamic markets. We looked at 10 different ones. And by quarter two, 2023, all but three major office markets that we looked at had a greater percentage of net rentable area expiring over the next coming years than they did in the three preceding the pandemic. But the three that had a smaller percentage uh, rolling over are Miami, Atlanta, and Washington. I think those are notable because they were huge recipients of net migration here in the States during the pandemic. Sorry for jumping in, but the rollover risk is the risk associated with a tenant's lease expiring. That's right. And then effectively the potential vacancy, right, could be there as or a repricing of that lease. Is that correct? That's exactly right. And traditionally, you would see a small increment. It's easier to keep an existing tenant than it is to sign a new one. It's a lot less expensive to keep an existing tenant than it is to sign a new one. And so the, the real risk there is finding a completely new tenant if one chooses to leave. And so a lot of these markets are really exposed to this risk. So let's take that out even further than three years. You see really different trajectories for some markets. Nearly 70% of space will have expired in San Francisco within 10 years if all of those tenants chose to leave. But you look at a market like Atlanta and it's only 50% or a little less than 50%. So big trajectory there in terms of these major markets or big change in trajectory. But there's a caveat to all of this and that's that expiring leases can actually be beneficial in markets where the contract rent is significantly lower than market rent because you could go to the market and find a new tenant that could take over the space and you could command a much higher rent. However, that spread between market and contracted rent is narrowing for effectively all of those markets. The one that commands the highest spread of the 10 that we looked at was Boston with a 16.9% spread as of uh, quarter two, 2023. But Houston is in a really difficult spot. We have estimated that they have a market rent that is actually lower than the average in-place contracted rent. The spread is negative 3.9%. So if I wanted to put kind of a bow on all of this, I would say that there are a couple of markets to watch. Those with smaller market-to-contract rent spreads in quarter two, 2023, those with three-year net rentable expiration or NRA expirations above 20%. You're looking at Chicago, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. I think Chicago's the one that stands out to me there. We know Los Angeles and San Francisco are really exposed to the tech sector, but I think there's a lot of risk associated with the office sector right now. We know that some markets are faring better than others, but I think there's something that, that we'll really want to keep an eye out for in the office sector. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing those stats. And I think the office sector is something that we're going to be watching over the coming quarters and likely over the, the coming years. But in the next couple of days, we have a number of economic releases and data points that I know that we're going to be paying attention to as we digest what's happening in the markets. On my radar, I have the Reserve Bank of Australia and the Bank of Canada policy rate decisions that are coming up this week. The reason why I'm watching those two is to see if the coordinated 
or the breakdown in global central bank coordination on monetary policy is changed at all. Coming out of the pandemic, the, many of the central banks were tightening together. But over the last couple of rate decisions across different central banks, we've seen some increasing divergence across policies. And so with the Reserve Bank of Australia decision today, as well as the Bank of Canada coming out tomorrow, which is Wednesday, we'll see if that narrative still holds. But then also on my radar is the Fed's Beige Book, which is coming out on Thursday. And that's one of my favorite releases that gives color to really what's happening in the economy. What are you watching this week? So just like last week, this is another big one for indicators. I think there are three that I'm watching to talk about the health of the service sector. So we've got the ISM non-manufacturing index, which is tomorrow, Wednesday. We have unit labor costs on Thursday, along with productivity on Thursday. We've also got consumer credit on Friday. But the last one I'm really looking forward to, we have earnings for Kroger, one of the nation's largest grocery chains on the 8th. So I think that'll give us a good idea of where some of this last set of retailers are as we close out this earnings season. But I'm really excited for that one. And hopefully we'll have some updates on all those numbers for you guys next week. Fantastic. I'll be watching those indicators with you and looking forward to discussing next week. Sounds great. And Omar, I think that's all the time we've got. We will be back next week with another exciting episode of the CRE Exchange. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the CRE Exchange podcast powered by Altus Group. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. At Altus, we bring together capabilities across technology, analytics, valuations, tax, and development advisory services. We are guided by bold thinking, integrity, and inclusivity, partnering with CRE professionals to maximize opportunities with exceptional service experience. Find out more at altusgroup.com.